Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is a product of Purpose Kingdom Network, and this is the show, Self-Expression, and I am your host, Brother Robert Pop-Pop Hudson. Welcome and good evening, everybody, whether you're listening online or via phone. And if you are online and you would like to uh, join in on the, you know, on the conversation tonight, you can call in at 319-527-6091. All right. And as we uh, all know, this is uh, February, and it's uh, Black History Month. And uh, as we go into tonight's show, you know, title of our show for tonight is Black R Story Month, 2019. Two years ago, I did a, you know, I did a show with the same title, and I decided that I would uh, like to refresh the subject of tonight's topic. And one of the things I found special about, you know, history is depending on you know, who is in power, that is how history has been, you know, dictated and determined and has been taught in classrooms, you know, all around, you know, the U.S. You know, this is uh, the very reason why I came up with, you know, tonight's topic, you know, uh, and this, you know, self-explanatory when you break down the word history. You know, history, they're telling us a story of their story, not our story. You know, when basically, you know, you go to the library, you know, that's where you find a lot of facts. And that's basically where they bury all the lies. But it's up to you to do the research. And, you know, today is, you know, this is a, a very, you know, good day for me because today this is, a learning and teaching, you know, experiences, you know, that, that I've learned and I learned how to share, you know, a lot of my teaching experiences. And tonight we're only going into uh, one chapter right now, you know, for right now. And, you know, as I'm going deeper into the subject, I know we're going to go into other chapters, but for right now, for right now, I'm going to go into first Samuel chapter 12 to 20. And I'm going to read the, the scripture first, and then we'll go ahead and I'm going to break some things down that I've noticed in the chapter. Also, not only that I've noticed in the chapter, but I noticed in different um, versions of the Bible. So I'm going to just start and, uh, you know, some who, who, who went on across an Egyptian in the field and took him to David. They gave him bread, and he ate. And he drank some water. They gave him a piece of fig cake for a raisin muffin. Life began to revive in him. He hadn't eaten or drunk a few, uh, drunk a thing for three days and nights. David said to him, who do you belong to? Where are you from? I am an Egyptian slave of a Amakite, he said. My master walked off and left me when I took when I got sick. That was three days ago. He was raided, 
he was rated uh, of uh, Judea, Kalab, Ziklag, we burn. David asked him, can you take us to the Raiders? Promise me, God, he said, that you won't kill me or turn me over to my old master. I'll take you straight to the Raiders. He led David to them. Then they they were scattered all over the place, eating and drinking, gorging themselves on all the loot they had plundered from the Philistia and, and Judea. David pounced. He found them from before sunrise until evening of the next day. None got away except for 400 of the younger men who escaped by riding off on camels. The Amalekites had taken, and he had rescued his two wives. Nothing and no one was missing, young or old, son or daughter, plunder or whatever. David recovered the whole lot. He herded the sheep and cattle before them, and they all shouted, David's plunder. Now, the reason why, you know, I read that scripture and, you know, one of the reasons I did, because for some effects of of what I read uh, kind of changed the perception of, you know, how I thought about the scripture, and I'll, I'll go into that. And basically... From what we read, you know, uh, the guy was found in the field, you know, and this was a cultivated field where crops of of some kind were grown, but was harvested and left bare, perhaps, you know, a field of grain or wheat. What I took from it was that he was looking for something, you know, basically to eat, something to sustain, sustain his life, and he was trying to survive. And, you know, as, you know, I read verse in verse 12, you know, he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. You know, our, our you know our brother was basically found on the point of death. You know, starving, dehydrated, so much so that he was reduced to you know scrounging the earth on his bare hands and knees until you know he passed out and lost consciousness. And you know, most of the things that I can contend with my you know black brothers and sisters, you know, were basically found in the field you know, of hunger. And in this land of, you know, of plenty, you know, mind you, because there are two, you know, people think that we're too sorry and too lazy to work. But no, you know, we're working and we're working, you know, dead-end jobs and in prosperous, you know, you know, economy of downsizing and corporate greed and profits that, you know, pay just enough to keep them, you know, keep us in poverty uh, they earn just enough to pay rent and perhaps their utilities, but not enough to feed their families. Therefore, many days of the month, you know, a lot of people go hungry. You know, um, our brother was also found in the field, you know, forsaking. So the last part of the verse in 13, he told David, my master left me. You know, hungry, then forsaken, left behind like some wounded animal to die. You know, the sad fact is that so many of us, have been forsaken, left behind to die in the field of poverty. You know, forsaken by greed, you know, driven by a profit-hungry capitalist society. Forsaken by, you know, heartless, unchristian, racist, you know, Congress of people. Forsaken by callous and cruel yet patriotic 
so-called patriotic, you know, uh, countrymen. But worst of all, forsaken by us, you know, the black church and the black community. You know, we have forsaken our own hungry, homeless, hurting brothers and sisters. What benefit is it to say to the naked and hungry, warm yourself and be filled or fed by someone, but we do not supply those needful things yet? That is exactly what we have been doing. Do we not know that God chose out us, you know? He has chosen out the economically poor people. The economically poor are God's choice. And that was James' argument. And we can go to verse, you know, James chapter 2, verse 5 through 6. And what I learned there was, there he argues that the economically poor are special to God and enjoy his favor and special providence. James argues that God chose the economically poor for two purposes. The one is that is relevant here is that they are abundantly supplied in the realm of faith. Being rich in faith, the economically poor are not a burden but are an invaluable asset to of a numerous uh, sources of local churches. You know, the poor have really access to spiritual riches in, in heavenly places. I dare say that the reason for the success and power of various ministries and churches and due in large part of their acknowledgement of the esteem of the poor in their midst for in advance is people when we despise those whom God has chosen. Our brother was found in the field hungry and forsaken yet stood weak so sickly in the last verse of chapter 13. He said to David, my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. However, I've also looked in the, uh, you know, the Hebrew text and it says I stood weak. He was weak from hunger, but yet he stood, his master treated him worse than the dog because the implications is that his master refused to feed him before he left him. He served his master, yet his master fed him not. But I admire his fortitude because though weak from hunger, yet he said, I stood weak, I served weak, I will not fall down, I stood weak. You know, many of our brothers, you know, and sisters hungry and forsaken, yet they are not standing weak. Yes, we are working weak, tolling weak, serving weak, preserving weak, hoping weak, believing weak, worshiping weak, living weak, but they refuse to fall down, refuse to give up. They still stand. You know, personally, I have no admiration for those who are in the so-called middle class, well-paid, well-fed, comfortable, you know, black Americans. I admire that poor, humble servant who, you know, will stand all kinds of pressure, stress, snide, and degrading remarks and mistreatment, you know, and most of the time at work, you know, on the streets and even in the hood. Yet they still stand weak, hungry and tired, stand long enough, you know, to make it home. And basically sometimes some people are so weak and tired they fall on the floor. Yes, I admire them. And for them, you know, there should be, you know, peace in the valley someday. They're tired and weary, yet they travel until the Lord, you know, until the Lord calls them away. My friends, let me just let you know, the hungry, standing, weak, 
in the fields of our hoods must be ministered to. We must find them, pick them up, carry them, feed them to humanness. But when, you know, when they found our brothers, when they found our brother, he could not stand no longer, so he fell. Fell on the field, fell on the point of death. His humanity had almost left him. For as we go back into verse 12, and when he had eaten, his spirit came back again to him. His spirit, you know, it denotes his earthly life was restored. He regained the power to think, to feel, to will, to decide. You can't reasonably feel emotions close to deciding or acting, you know, rationally, you know, when you're close to being unconscious or unconscious. So, you know, basically, I just want to let you know, you know, that we need to stop criticizing and asking what's wrong with our hungry brothers and sisters in the field. They're so hungry, hurt, and forsaken that they have lost the power to think straight, to feel any emotion and to make any decisions. You know, we must feed them. They only desire the crumbs that fall from our tables. You know, we need to feed them to restore their the humanness. They have suffered dehumanization long enough at the hands of the majority. You know, we must not adopt the mentality toward our own. They are flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone and blood of our blood. We must minister to them. And a lot of times we walk past, walk over, walk through, and if not totally disrespect people that are asking for help. You know, the reason being simply this, through dehumanization and defranchising, you know, of these people, you know, they're still aware of their ethnicity. And, you know, and so are we. So we must stop. If you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. If you're walking by and walking over or just avoiding it, you are part of the problem. And so I just want to make sure that you notice that in verse 13, the questions asked in the dehumanization and disfranchisement is not only just because this is an Egyptian, it's because uh, he's also an African. So we are all from African descent at some point. And so what I noticed in the King James Version, you know, that translated David's first question and it said, to whom belong you, I mean, thou. Um, that to me was, you know, has a racial, you know, uh, overtone in it as if to, you know, imply that David viewed all black as inferior, all black people as inferior. And um, basically, uh, we know, you know, from the 1920s and, you know, days before that, that basically, you know, um, if you were black then, that you had to have a master. You know, not saying that, you know, not saying spiritually, but saying you have to have a master. So, therefore, you know, slaves, they needed to belong to somebody superior, you know, or rather white masters. And so I could not accept that translation. I could not accept the implication offered by the translation of the King James Version that David was a racist, basically saying through his statements, especially when I consider the fact that he married a woman of African descent. You remember Bathsheba, that fine woman who, you know, caused David to have her husband 
you know, killed in order to have her. Well, she was of African descent on her mother's side, so I couldn't accept insinuation that David was a racist, especially when I consider the fact that his son, King Solomon, was part black being the son of Bathsheba. So I got, you know, um, the Greek version, and when, you know, with a pink, James version was, you know, seemed like kind of skittish in the words, you know, the wording, you know. Um, so it says in, in that version, of whom or what are you? In other words, who are who, who are you, folk? You know, uh, who are you, who are your parents and your forefathers, and of what tribe and what race are you from? And the second question is, in, in that line there is. Uh, from where are you, what country, you know, basically what country and where you come from. And I'll tell you, God uses these, those who are not ashamed of their roots. You know, this young man answered David saying, I am a young Egyptian man. Well, to those who believe in, the, you know, that bell curve theory that, um, you know, what, la- you know, you know, you know, what labels us, you know, less than human and the property of the superior race, you know, we must declare our, our, personhood. I am a man. I am a person of consequence, a creation of Almighty God. As such, I am an expression of God's person, an extension of God's presence, and exhibit, you know, exhibit, uh, exhibit of God's power. I am, you know, and I've always stated before, the mighty I am. I am the philosopher. You know, I think, therefore I am. You know, so basically he owned his own ethnicity. I am a young Egyptian man. He did not try to deny his roots or deny his race in favor of being, you know, accepted or affirmed by, the, you know, by a, a majority of a race in front of him. No, he owned up to the fact that being from a tribe of Ham, a Hamite, a descendant of Crush, I am young, a young Egyptian man. You ought to never, you know, dent who you are. You know, don't don't renounce your blackness and the fact of whiteness. You know, to do so is to deny the wisdom and purpose of God. You are who you are. What are you at the end is the will of God, the celebration of God's gift. So he said, yes, I am an Egyptian man. He not only owned his ethnicity, he also declared his heritage. I am an Egyptian. Contrary to the popular belief, Egypt is part of the continent. Africans are African. And the reason that it's you know, important and relevant is because much of the activity in the earlier sections of the Old Testament is set in North Africa. You know, the Garden of Eden is said to have been located in North Africa, the home of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Now these facts are, you know, basically, you know, they're 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 you know, you know, they're they're, they're scarcely you know really mentioned uh, in a lot of places, as far as you know uh, the relevance of the location of Garden of Eden. You know, um, Pen and American you know biblical scholars have written, you know, of the Old Testament, you know. And underscores the importance of African Africa in many places. For instance, both Abraham and Jacob sojourned in, in, in Africa. Joseph rose to power and prominence under a pharaoh in Africa. The so-called 
table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 provided the universe of the Hebrew uh, tribulations. And in that universe, the sons of Ham uh, basically, you know, uh, kings and rulers of, of, of Syria and Canaan. The Egyptian culture is the mother of modern civilization, law, and order. Government, agriculture, and science, medicine, and the arts all own their origins to Egypt. So we need not be ashamed of our heritage, for it is a noble and unparalleled one, unparalleled by ones that have been ruled and governed by kings and prophets. So basically, I want to let everybody know it's important to link our identity to our ethnicity. For if we establish our heritage, there is no one ident- can identify, you know, us by our basically by our social status. So whether you're, uh, you know, a beggar, or if you're someone that's not well to do, or if you're someone that you know runs through trouble paying pay your bills from time to time, you basically, you know, you're basically stating, you know, your heritage. You're basically claiming your identity and saying, hey, I did not come from beggars and robbers, you know, my whole life or, or my whole lineage. I have a rich history in my family. And, of course, you know, I am not my ancestors, but I am part of my ancestors. My ancestry is what makes me part of me right now today. So meaning I am not a person that has always been in line with, you know, my roots, with everybody having to fall on hard times, my whole lineage. You know, stolen from my homeland, sold into slavery, a servant, stripped of my name, denied my heritage, raped of my rights. That's basically what they're trying to say a servant is. A servant of no consequences for I served but but was not dead. I served the point of collapsing yet stood weak, a deserted, dehumanized, disenfranchised servant. For the most part, persons of African descent have not been assimilated into the society. All black, you know, all black people have been, you know, condemned to a quasi-citizenship. As surely as our parents were, you know, segregated and, you know, their, their foreparents were enslaved, the fact is, despite what we designate as progress, you know, through our struggles over the many generations, we remain what we were in the beginning, a dark and foreign presence always the, de- the designated other. Tolerated in good times, despised when things go wrong. As a people, we are a scapegoat, a sacrifice as distraction or callous for co- compromise, you know, to fil- facilitate resolutions of political difference or relieve economic a- adversity. You know, we are now, as our forefathers were brought into, you know, this so-called new world, objects of barter for those who, while profiting from our existence, deny our exact humanity. You know, we would not be assimilated for, you know, we are, you know, always identified by a qualifying objective. A black man or woman, a minority, those people never refer to as Mr. Mrs. So, you know, and it goes on and on, you know. Uh, people always refer to uh, as a black preacher, a black nurse, a black teacher, a black actor, a black athlete, a black citizen, a black student. We shall never be assimilated. You know, if we join a white congregation, we shall be referred to as a black member. 
if you're elected to Congress or you know to you know to a public office, you are you know pretty much the you know the black mayor. And since the majority should never let you forget, you know, you know, you must be aware of your ethnicity. So even if you don't mention it, you know, our, you know, our our, our basic, you know, our counterparts will basically mention it for us and say, hey, that's the black mayor, or you know, and a lot of times, you know, they put it in reference where they think it may be easy. Hey, this is the first black mayor, or this is the first black this or the first black that. You know, basically, we are not, you know, just held to what, you know, what we are allotted to as far as, you know, our duties and our jobs. We're allotted and identified for by our ethnicity. It is pointed out to us. It is, you know, it is said and mentioned, you know, and the way it is presented, it's presented as, you know, saying, hey, you know, uh, for, for, you know, us as being the Africans that's in America, you know, we, we shall be, we shall always, you know, play a key role in the redemption, you know, the re- redemptive work of the Holy God. You know, we must be ever mindful of the fact that God is at work in every detail and juncture of our pursuit. He, you know, he providentially places people in our way who, regardless of their race, gender, social status, or physical condition, holds the key to our success and taking time out to bless them, you know, we discover that God has purpose and plan to bless us. So, you know, uh, just to jump back uh, last year, you know, um, I just stated the fact that success is certain. So right there, you know, um, just putting things in you know, perspective, I'm sorry, my, my P's and my, my W's or something is just really uh, out of whack right now where I, I'm just, you know, maybe just a little bit um, fatigued there. But, you know, basically by stating, you know, certain things, you know, as we say, as we do, as we think of, as we are, you know, and just getting back to uh, what we were reading, you know, our different brother, you know, was, you know, a case in point. For on their way, David's men found this despised, deserted, disenfranchised African. You know, you never know through whom God has determined to bless you. You know, daily we pass by hurting humans, you know, basically all over our major cities. And, you know, we may walk past them and we leave them hurting, hungry, thirsty, and hopeless because they are not the kind of folk we like to help, you know, for but we have our own, you know, criteria for helping folks. You know, they must look a certain way, be in a fairly good physical condition, have a, you know, respectable social status in the hood, you know, be a certain ethnicity or skin color, and, you know, must be a member of, you know, of something special, we think. You know, that's our standards of righteousness and not God's. And I fear we have, you know, bypassed certain people whom God has strategically placed in our way. You know, and it's not to be in our way, it's to help us. And we have, you know, flunked and are still pursuing these many, you know, these many things and these many years of promises and realizing basically we have done nothing for nobody. Yeah, we need to take time out and help, you know, someone else who is down, you know, on the path. And, you know, for after David had, you know, questioned him as, 
to the ethnicity and country of origin, he found out, you know, we found out when we go back to verse 14 that this, you know, black man was very, was the very person who could help them recover all they had lost. And then taking time out to minister to someone else's needs and then spending a little time, to, uh, you know, talking to them, we just might discover the key to our soul's desire for God sometimes works out the details of answered prayers through the lives and lips and discarded and disfranchised folk, you know, folk that you think have no resources to help, folks you think have no answers to give, folks that have no clout in the community, you know, folk with no standing in their hood, folk who live in Section 8 houses and buy their food with access cards. They are the very folk God has chosen. And don't you hear the, the Apostle Paul? And I'm just going to refer to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 25 and 25. You know, and basically, you know, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen ye. And things which are not bring to naught things that are. So David asks this weak, foolish, powerless, despised black man whom God has chosen, do you think you can bring me down to these plunderers? Would you help us in our pursuit? And he did help in verse, you go to verse 18 and 19, David recovered all. His two wives, his legacy, basically, uh, David recovered all, everything that he thought lost initially before they encountered the Egyptians. Yes, God uses nameless, despised, deserted, disenfranchised Africans as keys in the redemp- you know, in redemption of all. For in a desolated for in the desolated desert of Shur where hope unborn had almost died, God spoke to and used the black Egyptian Queen Hagar to establish the Arabian nation. When a prophet Jeremiah's life hung in the balance as he sunk in the middle of a dungeon, God used Ebod and the Egyptian eunuch to draw up Jeremiah out of the dungeon. When a continent of Africa needed the redemption light of the gospel to shine upon its inhabitants, God saved the first Gentile converted in the desert of Gaza. From a chariot, a church, God took Candace, secretary of treasure, treasury, an Egyptian eunuch, and used him as a, the first African evangelist. <clears throat> it was during the dark fifth century of Judah's history that God raised up a prophet who exhorted the people to repent and assure them that God would dwell in the midst of righteous, the righteous remnant following repentance. And at that time will come when worship, worship, uh, the worships of, of Jehovah will come from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia and will bring offerings. That prophet was 
the only black prophet of the nation of Israel. In case you're interested in his name, the Fana, when you are, you know, we have a moment, you know, turn to the book of Zephana and check out his lineage. In verse 1, his genealogy, genealogy, genealogy ah, his family history, unlike that of any other prophet, is tracked back to over four generations from his Kushai to Hezekiah. Zephana was black from his mother. Related to King Hezekiah to his father was a native Judaite. Black in color, God spoke through the, the prophet, black mouth, to the prophet Zudayifah. Amid, you know, the sweltering uh, segregation of Jim Crow, God used a woman whose feet were tired and hurting. It ignited the civil rights movement, and that person was rolled apart. In my very own city in Philadelphia, on a faithful Sunday in November in 1787, Guy used a small group of black Methodists who were pulled unceremoniously from their knees while inadvertently praying in a segregated section of a galley in St. George Methodist Church. For being informed of St. George's racial policy and of being denied the request to allow to finish their prayers, organized the first African Methodist Episcopal Church under the leadership of Richard Allen and uh, also with uh, Absalom Jones. You know, perhaps an African whom we have seen often and have written off as insignificant and worthless, you know, an African who is yet basically on crack, possibly an African who is a member of a gang, perhaps a member of, you know, hiding somewhere, perhaps an African who is being groomed in some prison cell, for God loves to use things weak, foolish, despised, and nothing. You know, basically, this is, you know, my heart-to-heart talk to, you know, uh, those who have have a feel or have a need to thinking that, you know, casting aside, looking aside, and think you can keep it pushing without thinking that whatever you did, without your with your non-redemptive actions that you, you know, you can keep it pushing, you can keep it moving. You know, there, there's a phrase, it's lonely at the top. You know, as you're growing and as you're, you're casting aside and you're, you know, in your own sense, you know, the same thing that you're, you're persecuted from, the same thing that you don't like about how you're being judged, how you're being treated, how you're being looked upon, is the same thing you're doing with other people, but you're doing it in different ways. You're reciprocating what's happening to you or what you feel has happened to you, but you're you're deflecting and you're actually in a not you know positive way. You're actually disenfranchising someone else as as you have been disenfranchised. You know, and and I suggest that you know people in churches of African descent, you know, we are. You know, destined for a key of you know a key role in the redemption of you know basically the world, despite being you know dismissed as a you know improbable force you know in institutions by those who say that neither the you know the black church nor the black experience has ever been a matter of serious consequences from you know the basic American perception of reality. We shall rise. We have been written off as irrelevant and inconsequential. But oh, when I read. 
the redemptive story, I find clues of future usefulness for the majority of the culture has dismissed, you know, they have dismissed, you know, Jesus of Nazareth as a joke. They asked, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was considered a ghetto. So, you know, they call him lazy, crazy, you know, a wine river, a sinner, a deceiver, a traitor, a devil, a blasphemer, and a curse. So they condemned him to die, you know, not knowing he was God's plan of redemption. They led him to the killing field, compelling him to carry his cross. And when he needed a little relief from carrying his burden, when he fell down under the weight of the cross, look at God giving future indication of his plan of Africans. So God strategically placed in the crowd of onlookers an African by the name of Simon. Of Simon, Simon was just coming off the field, and so a soldier saw him, you know, this despised black man, drug him from the crowd and made him carry the cross to Christ for a while. Even in the redemptive story of the cross, God used an African. There was Jesus the Jew and Simon the African linked together in partnership with the cross. Yeah, God is not through with us yet. True believers. Our destiny is linked to the cross of Christ. Where there is Jesus and Simon. Who better to carry the cross than who are despised and rejected by men? Who better to carry the cross than those who are people of sorrow, acquainted with grief? Who is better to fit to carry the cross of redemption than those who have suffered police brutality, racial profiling, tried and sentenced in unjust courts. Oh, our destiny is linked to the cross of Christ. We who die too soon, go to prison too long, and come to know life's blues far too early are linked to the cross of Christ. We are linked to the cross of Christ. We wore the crown of thorns, I shall wear his crown of glory. He wore my nakedness when we hung on the tree. I shall wear his royal robe. He bore my shame, I shall bear his honor. He endured my suffering, my suffering, I enjoy his joy. So Africans, you know, you must take up the cross, but when you come to the end you know, of your journey, weary of life, and the battle was won, carry the staff and the cross of redemption. He'll understand and say, well done. So in the sanctuary of, you know, tonight's program, you know, ring with the harmony of knowing the liberty of things to come. You know, let our rejoicing rise high. You know, high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling seas. Sing a song full of faith. Sing a song full of hope that the present has to bring us, you know, facing the rising sun of our new days as they begin. Let us march on until victory is won. This is not the end, especially when you embrace the promise that we have had, what we have asked us to do. He's asked us to do the very bare minimum. You know, for, for God, you know, he has, truly loved us, acts back in return, so simple, so little from us, but yet time and time again, we have no time, or we say we have no time to give back, 24 hours in a day, 
If you give one-tenth of that, what's 12 minutes of praise and worship? And it doesn't have to be all at one time. Or it could be 12 minutes at a time if you have the time to spare. But one of the things I'm asking you, what are you doing as you reflect? You know, where's your redemptive spirit in you? Where has it gone? Where is it at? Your redemptive spirit that you're not reflecting or that you say, hey, I feel disenfranchised. I feel picked on. I feel like things are not fair. But what are you doing to show fairness to someone that you look upon in inferiority? You know, when you look upon somebody in inferiority or you have what you, you know, what you thought is the, I, I can say the white superiority. Yeah, we know that's out there. We, you know, we see it's evident. We see it's out there hanging prominently. But what are you doing? What are you doing in your redemptive spirit? Are you improving things or are you part of the solution or part of the problem? That's what I'm asking you. And right now, I see I have a caller, so I'm going to bring my caller on real quick. And after that, we'll go into the call of salvation. So. Um, I believe my caller tonight is Sister Antonia. Sister Antonia, how you doing? Hi, how are you doing, Brother Rob? Good. I'm doing um, good. How you know, you? I was um, listening to your show, and um, it's amazing how a lot of us, we do a lot of finger pointing, um, and some of us don't do it with ill intent. But, you know, we had to take into consideration not just another person's feelings, but the fact that, some other people are watching us while we're pointing fingers also. So if we, you know, do expect to have all the, you know, the goodness of what God has, you know, brought to us, what we should do is probably take a long, hard look at ourselves and also at other people who mean well and maybe fall in the same category as we do. And maybe we can work out a lot of our little own personal problems. you could say self-serving interest and learn how to be better people. So, you know, I really enjoyed your um, topic because, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that they're pointing fingers, but that's why we have to, like, you know, you mentioned in so many words, stay grounded so we understand what the real meaning of whatever we're looking at um, is what it is. So thank you very much, Brother Rob, for hearing me out. But I hope and pray that you do help. You know, a lot of people do some soul searching and realize that they you know they could be better people if they still t- consider to take a look at themselves, you know, and understand why we need to evaluate what's going on with us before we start criticizing. So thank you, and you have a wonderful evening. And it's yeah, always no good problem. to be on PKN. No problem. Before you go, I just want to let everybody know that's uh, Sister Antonia Batts, and she's the host of uh, Peripheral Visions, and she's on the third Sunday of every month at 9 p.m. And, Antonia, thank you so much for uh, joining us for tonight's broadcast. You're welcome. All right, and just getting back in, right right about now is the time of uh, the Call of Salvation here tonight, tonight's program. And I want to do the Call of Salvation real, real quickly and just to let you know, um, you know, God loves us. He, he loves us all. He, he looks at us, you know, individually, 
and also he looks at the, you know, look at, you know, through our soul, through, you know, through what we're doing and, and how we journey. And, you know, how we, you know, no matter how, how hard or what kind of hardship we do, God does not place anything on our shoulders that we can't handle. God makes sure that, you know, he's making sure that he is strengthening and resolving us, you know, as we, you know, journey on through life. God wants to make sure that, you know, we prosper in the gospel. We, we prosper in his word. And he will never forsake us. And one of the things we have to do is we have to make sure that we have that heart-to-heart talk. Just like, you know, we're, we're, you know, I'm talking openly, you know, we need to talk openly to God and say, hey, God, you know, I know I've tried a lot of things. I've known I've done a lot of things. I know I've, I've done things unworthy in your eyesight, but God, you know, right now I just want to open up that opportunity where I can just come clean. Thank you for, you know, watching me anew and let me begin anew. Because a lot of people do not have that chance or think they don't have that chance that we're, you know, once, you know, we're, we're living in sin and, you know, we're thinking that, oh, we didn't went this far, we can't go back. But, yes, you can. If you ask for forgiveness, you ask him and you accept him in your heart, yes, you can. You can change. You can turn over a new leaf. You can start a new life. But it's up to you. It's up to you to want it, and it's up to you to accept it. You know, and accepting that and doing that, it takes a big, big step. You know, and you can do it. If you trust and accept him, then you will see. You know, getting down on your knees and, and saying a prayer doesn't cost anything. You know, and it won't hurt you and it won't hurt anybody else. Send up a prayer to God and making sure that he understands your voice because God does understand. He hears your voice. He hears you calling out like a child calling out for his mom. God, can, God hears, and, you know, he hears you. He hears your prayers. And so, you know, just make sure that you connect, you know, you make that connection. You create that bond. And from there, you know, God will always, you know, be there for you. He'll be in your corner, you know. And the next thing I, you know, I suggest you do is you find a Bible-believing teaching. Preaching church that, uh, you know, open up a sanctuary for you where you can open up and they can increase your knowledge through Christ, through the Bible. Uh, and after, you know, after this, you know, uh, I'm just going to let you know that, you know, this is your choice. You know, you make sure you choose your, your choice wisely. No matter, you know, there are so many people, you know, uh, behind the eight ball, you know, they have to overcome, overcome a lot of obstacles. But the first step in overcoming an obstacle is learning how to attack that. And one of the ways that you don't want to do it alone, you know, through Christ, everything is greater. So, you know, create that relationship, create that bond. You know, just think about it and consider it. And if you have already done that, just encourage your friend or someone else to do the same. And with that being said, I'm going to go into the announcements. This is the product of Perfect Kingdom Network. Thanks for joining us for the 842nd episode of Perfect Kingdom Network. If you want to correspond with us here at Perfect Kingdom Network, you can correspond with us here at PurposeKingdomNet at gmail.com where you can see your comments, questions, concerns. You can simply say hello or send a prayer request. We gladly honor that. Also, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Purpose underscore Kingdom. We can also do the same. We're on LinkedIn, iTunes, and Twitter. Uh, we can also, uh, you know, pick up some of our broadcasts and some of our excerpts of our shows. Um, also, please feel free to join us on Anchor.com, where we have a morning walk. Uh, that's also an extension of Purpose Kingdom Network, and we, uh, you know, thank you. We thank those that have, uh, you know, participated in joining and helping us, no matter where you are in the world, joining us here at Purpose Kingdom Network uh, almost each and every night that we broadcast. We thank you so much. 
Uh, we greatly appreciate uh, your help and support with supporting this here Purpose Cleaner Network with your listenership, uh, you know, continually with through online and, and via the phone. We thank you so much. And also that phone number, if you're online, you want to know the phone number to call in. It's going to be three one nine five two seven six zero nine one. Feel free to call in and also, you know, hit the number one that you know add to the conversation. All right, and um, you know, God's will, God's blessing. We hope you join us tomorrow evening for a brand new show. And just stay tuned. Uh, for t- uh, tomorrow evening, it's going to be at the nine p.m. hour. And like I said, with God's will, God's blessing. We hope you join us tomorrow evening for a brand new show that we have here on Purpose Freedom Network. It's going to start at nine p.m. And uh, we thank you so much for your listenership and support. And I'm just going to go ahead and uh, continue with our conclusion of tonight's program. And tonight's program is Our History Month 2019. And there are so many significant contributions that we have, you know, uh, made to our society. A lot of times there is very, you know, very minor contributions that people fail to, you know, fail to realize. And one of the, you know, contributions that, you know, people made, and I have, you know, also did research and looked at, um, it also, you know, it brought about some of the things that we constantly look at, you know, that we use and, and that we purchase that we just don't even have no thought about, like, how does it actually come about? So one of the things is, and, you know, also, you know, uh, stay tuned for um, posts that I want to do on Facebook. You go to Robert Hudson, Robert Hudson where you can go ahead and see uh, some of my upcoming posts. is going to be Black History Minute. And this is going to be one of my, you know, excerpts from Black History Minute. And it's uh, on a guy called Willie Ray Smith. In 1981, Willie Ray Smith was a uh, pastry chef, a pastry chef you know, working on, you know, uh, making Pop-Tarts. One day, Willie was wondering if he could add meat instead of fruit. And after several years of working on his idea, finally Willie got up and he got a chance to move on. And he became a pastry chef in his own uh, bakery. And while doing that, he had a chance to, you know, experiment and do things and so he found out that uh, basically microwave technology was coming from home to home. And he realized that, uh, you know, that idea of uh, making, you know, putting meat into the actual pop-top products was not going to work. So he redesigned everything, and he eventually got a chance to call his product uh, meat tarts. And what happened, um, that he was – it was actually – coming along, but a lot of the, you know, uh, people that was going to invest into his company did not like the idea. So later on, that idea that Willie Ray Smith had, it had changed into what we call now Hot Pockets. And I thought that was interesting in in how um, Willie Ray Smith had an idea. uh, He didn't, you know, uh, change it, but he altered it where he can actually make it a reality. And that is a lot of things that we, you know, we tend not to do is that sometimes we may have a grand master plan, a grand scheme that we have configured and we have 
we, we give no leeway for alter you know alterations of where it can take off. We have the that beginning mode, that beginning module that we have in our head of this is what we want to accomplish. This is the product that we want to accomplish. And then we have in the end where it is something that is enjoyed by everybody, but we're, you know, we're not including from where we began to where we want to end up at that we cannot envision that altercation, alter, alter, alter the, the modifications that we need to make that, um, that that you know that we can feed and, and and get that success that we had planned, and um, I'll continue to um, uh, well I'll continue to wreck the English language as I go on, but don't don't worry about that. I was a C average in English anyway, so and, you know as we continue, you know we we have to make sure that you know we have to have that vision, but we cannot have that that hardness of our hearts where we will not budge, we will not move on what we have perceived to be a very good idea and a very uh, something better all product for for us all. You know, whether we're working, whether we're, you know, our our family, you know, improving our family culture, improving our own history, you know, we just have to make sure that you know, yes, there are some times where you have to stand on the dime and make sure we don't budge. But there's also the time that we have to have to have flexibility. You know, and I'm just going to say this, you know, for an analogy right now, is that, you know, imagine us being a tree branch. That tree branch is very flexible, but it's also, it knows that it only can bend so far before it breaks. We have to make sure we get to the point that we can sway in the wind, that we can go sway back and forth where that we're not hurting ourselves but we're also not breaking ourselves. You know, as a society, you know, the African and American has been a broken uh, a, a broken people overall. You know, when something is broken, you know, it needs fixing. You know, it needs healing. You know, for us to heal then enjoy and love one another that we don't do. We have to, even though we've already been, you know, prejudiced against one another, don't forget we also have gone under prejudice ourselves. So why would we prejudice someone else? And and including that, our own kind. You know, we need to move on. We need to make sure that the prejudice that we have, you know, been so hard to fight us, you know, absorbing and taking that we don't deflect back onto someone else or even ourselves. You know, we have to make sure that we are the force of healing. And the force of healing is what we need. You know, we don't need, you know, the the warlike people. You know, we've lost one million Africans making it to America. On that boat ride, from when slave ships arrived in Africa and started to come to America, you know, we've lost one million slaves. Those are one million souls that never had a chance, whether they were being defiant, whether 
during the struggle and times they were underfed, undernourished, malnutrition, starved to death, or just trampled on. We don't know. That's one million people we never had a chance for their legacy to to flourish anywhere. And I know, you know, with, with, with their bodies, and you know, we'll probably never know their names because they never made it to America where, you know, they did make the attempt to try to record and, you know, uh, actually retrieve names. And a lot of them just didn't care. They just brought them on shore and sold them as slaves and didn't, you know, care who they were, where they're from, or even try to pronounce their name, their original names. You know, some had the choice of, you know, uh, their names were found out and say, hey, you know what, okay, like, uh, you know, you know, Kinte Kinte, you know. They said, well, your name is Toby. At least he had that, he was able to have that luxury, and even if he wouldn't call it a luxury. You know, we have to understand that our legacy and, you know, what has happened to us and, and and what is going to become of us, we have to make sure that we're part of the healing process, not a part of the self-destruction progress that we're making. You know, some of the contributions that we have made, you know, to the hood really doesn't matter to us overall, like the production of, or, or how to process and make crack, you know, and some of that thinking, or the hundreds of uses of, of baking soda. We need to make sure that we're looking and we're reflecting as we head to the future, a way of healing ourselves, not hindering ourselves more and more into the societal demands of what we do as being sacrificial lambs to bear the burden society needs in America. And when I say America, I can hear a K like America, like the KKK. You say the KKK doesn't exist? Well, as long as we are you know, burying ourselves, they don't need to exist. We need to make sure we don't heal ourselves. We have to make sure that we make that step forward where we're actually uplifting, where we're not leaving, you know, someone behind. We have to make sure that we build and build our future. And the best time to do it is start that now, start the healing process. Let's stop the self-destruction. And with that being said, you know, this is going to be the conclusion of my program. And uh, I thank you, everyone that has joined us. Um, I thank you. I love everybody. I love doing this. And, you know, with that being said, you know, I'm going to say deuces. Jesus bless. He raised me. I will not lose. He saved me. I will not lose. Set me free. I will not lose. Never want to see me down. I will not.